Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. Thank you so much. Great to be here today and welcome to Financially Ever After. We come to you every other week with experts in the legal, emotional, and financial arena and women who have gone through separation or divorce sharing their personal, unique experiences and also giving new tips to make sure you come through this process as whole as possible. And one of those women is Carrie Rattle. Carrie is here today. I've known Carrie for quite a few years, referred some wonderful uh, clients and women to her. And the reason why is that she looks at finances in a very different way, um, different than even a lot of financial advisors. And Carrie has a wonderful business. Um, she's really living her dreams and um, helps other professional women achieve their dream. She's a veteran financial services executive with banking, credit card, as well as brokerage experience in multiple different countries. Her mission in life is to help women save so they can build wealth. With wealth, women gain an equal vote in the world, build security and control, and have choices about how they want to live, which is hallelujah, <laughs> hallelujah. Yes. Um, so as far as her background, um, she lives with her husband and two bratty bunnies in New York. In addition to her company, she volunteers for Savvy Ladies, which as you know, is a nonprofit charity that I started to teach women about money. And so thank you so much for doing that, as well as volunteering with other women money or nonprofit organizations. Carrie shared that she's happiest in her scruffy hiking boots, trekking up high mountains around the world. So thank you for, for being here. I'm so excited. And the thing I wanted to ask you, you have a really interesting story um, about growing up and mm. watching your mom. So I would love for you to share that. And you know, does that influence some of the work that you even do today? Absolutely. And first of all, thank you for having me. You have no idea how much, first of all, I respect what you do in your wealth practice, as well as what you do outside with Savvy Ladies. You are so giving and so competent. So I am just thrilled to be here, Stacy. Um, and what happened to me in childhood actually drove me to what I do here, absolutely, because my father, when I was seven years of age, formative money years, childhood memories, dad decided to leave corporate and go into real estate for, for a few reasons. So it takes a while to build a referral practice. And my mom was at home with four kids. I am the eldest. So they were all younger than me at seven. It took eight years for dad to really build a lucrative practice where we didn't have to worry about things. So what I remember most is every day my mother 
worrying about paying the next bill. And my father, I still see this moment when dad reached into his pocket, pulled out his last $5. And he was trying to decide, does he give it to the church because there are people worse off than us? Or does he buy milk for his kids? That was a defining moment. And so, you know, it's at the ripe age of whatever I was between seven and 15, you, you either decide you're going to hide under the bed or you're going to face fear, right? Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I faced the fear head on and said to myself, I will never let this happen to my family because I can see the hurt in my father's face today and the disappointment in himself. So that drove me to want to help other women, other families get on top of their cash so they never feel that kind of fear and anxiety. That is unbelievably powerful. And what you do is really different. You're not just a financial advisor, you're a money coach. Yes. And can you tell me the difference between those two things? Absolutely. And there are not many of me. No. <laughs> you are a rare breed. You are a unicorn. And, yes. I, and in fact, my, my daughter would say an alicorn, which is even one step beyond a uh, unicorn. It yeah. is a unicorn with wings. Oh, those are the I best. I like that. Those are the best. She, I mean, some kids like unicorns, yeah. and she does. But really, she alicorns are where it, it really all is because yeah. they are so rare. Oh, that now that's fun. I like that. <laughs> so as investment advisors, um, you you invest money. Mm -hmm. And of course, many of you like yourself, Stacy, also do the financial planning involved with that. What I focus on is helping women manage their everyday behaviors and their money emotion so they can learn to save or get out of debt so they can start to save wealth so I can send them to advisors like you. Mm -hmm. And so it's very much around money psychology you're, because your money emotion drives your money behaviors. And so that's what I focus on. So a question, it sounds simple. It sounds so simple. Spend less, earn more, save more. But it's not so simple. Um, and there's this whole area of study with research called behavioral finance. Yes. So why why can't we just spend less, make more, save more? Why is it so hard? Mm. So how many hours do we have on this podcast? I know, I know. <laughs> um, so behavioral science and, uh, finance and specifically Daniel Kahneman proved in 2002 when he Nobel, won the Nobel Prize that there is emotion in every money decision we make and logic in few. So what's interesting is that the financial services industry has relatively ignored this for decades, mm -hmm. right? Until Daniel Kahneman came along, behavioral finance, all the other experts. Finally, we are we are saying, oh my gosh, there's, there's emotion that drives our behaviors. So everyone has different emotion. It starts when you develop money beliefs in childhood, 
So you don't even know how you think about money unless you compare yourself to someone else. You don't know how you might be sabotaging yourself. You don't know whether you think about money as security or money as a game or money as a status symbol. It's so incredibly tricky and triggers pop up. Your emotional sensitivities that you may have also learned from your parents or mentors along the way. And it's peeling back the layers, Stacy. Helping someone with their money, a spending plan is just the ante to the game. It's the basics, absolute mm -hmm. basics. It's all the money wrapped around why you go shopping. Is it you need to take control of your day? Is it because you just need a little bit of affection and you know somebody in your favorite store is going to pay attention to you? It's so complex and everybody is different. And when you get couples together, oh my gosh, it's it just adds another whole layer to it. It does, it does. And money and emotions, more people are, are recognizing that. Um, you have a very special niche of working with professional women. Yes. Can you tell me more about that? Yes. And women who, who are earning money that have careers but aren't seeing their 401k grow as much as it should because yeah. they're not putting enough in yes. or are not able to add to that 401k at work because they're seeing their Visa, their MasterCard, and their Amex month after month yes. continue to steadily climb. So, so how do you work with those women? Why does this happen? What are we doing wrong? Carrie, what are we doing wrong? <laughs> so, so we, um, first of all, it's, it's not all our fault. Thank you very much. And I, I love that. I love that. I love it when it's not my fault, but okay, let's yeah, keep on going. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I tell that to women because there are all these, what I refer to, and it, it's my personal list. I'm sure everyone has a different one. Societal myths, societal beliefs that get in our way. So I, I talked a bit about money beliefs, right? You're you're minding your own business as a kid, you listen to mom and dad, you hear what they say about money or when they don't say anything. You see how they behave with money. You absorb some of this. Sometimes you become like mom or dad, sometimes you rebel. So there's that level that becomes part of you, money beliefs. The second level is, ah, fairy tales, Prince Charming. We've all heard about Prince Charming and Cinderella. how- Yes how he's going to come and save us as women, right? Nobody stops and asks, just a second, does Prince Charming know how to manage his money? Huh? Oh no, if he doesn't, we're in trouble, right? So some of us believe in Prince Charming. And then you get to the third layer, which affects all of us. And that's the, we're not good enough layer, right? And it's 724, the world tells us, your eyelashes aren't good enough, your hair isn't good enough, your skin isn't good enough, and by gosh, regardless of your weight, it's just not right. So then we start thinking, oh my gosh, can we do anything right? And so we don't think we can manage our cash well either because we fall into that myth when even capable women, you know, are, 
we can do so much, Stacy, but we believe what we're being told. And then you've got machismo on Wall Street. Having a word like literally one block from Wall Street. So yes. we're, we're, yeah, we're right there. We're right there. We are. And you know, you you add a whole different layer to how we can interpret Wall Street. It's a very male-dominated culture. Yeah. It is what it is. We can't say it's good or bad. Men built it. It men men talk a certain language, men behave a certain way. It's foreign to women. When you talk about power, men think cool, power, domination, take over the world. You talk about power for women, it's all about power to change the world, power to give. So our language is so different and I try to straddle that and help women understand the male language because they're very capable. And last, of course, but not least, is our own mind. And this is pretty recent stuff. We, When we learn things, we develop loops in our mind. So you've got little neurons that kind of attach to each other. So if somebody says, Stacy, you can't do math, then you start thinking about that and you hear it over and over and over again. So these little neurons develop a loop and you automatically think, oh, default, somebody asked me to do that. I can't do that because I can't do math. So you think about it so often, these thoughts become a super highway and your mind defaults that way. So the trick is breaking that loop and saying, just a second, I'm going to build a new loop. I can do math, darn it all. And every time something numerical comes in front of you, I can do math, I can do this. So you've got all these layers, right? They get between women and money. They're not our fault. They're part of society. And I dare a woman to find me and prove to me that she is not capable of managing managing her cash because I know every woman out there can do it. And so what do you tell them to do? So a woman that comes to you that, you know, she's believed, watched maybe um, other women in her life mm-hmm. give up their power of being involved in the finances, she's watched Cinderella. I mean, I know I watched all those and I really yes. hoped and I realized, you know, Prince Charming may not be coming and I'm going to have to figure this out. Or if he does come, he could really not know anything about money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we do grow up and you see it from a very young age that by you know late elementary, mm-hmm. the number of girls' hands that go up when there's a question asked about math or science um, starts to peter out. Yeah. So what do you say to her? How do you move a woman from this place that she finds herself in because of all of these outside influences mm-hmm. to that place of empowerment? So first of all, we talk about being selfish. Sounds interesting, right? It does. I mean, that word, um, and yeah, that's yeah. not that's not a word that I think of trying to strive for. Exactly. Women are such givers, yeah. and we try to keep everyone else happy first. Boss, husband, kids, significant other, whatever it is. So we never give to ourselves. And so I talk about money, self-care. You are allowed to have self-care because 
if you keep giving out of your well, whether it's the well of your soul, your energy, your money, you have to take care of yourself and, and fill it up or you're going to run out of steam at the end of the day. So I very much talk with them about head, heart, hands, which is sort of my coaching philosophy, because there are there are three parts that will bring you balance to life, and we tend to ignore one or two of them. So for the average woman, if you look at the head, it's the shoulds in life. You should save for retirement. You should pay down your debt. It's all your goals. And if, if you think about too, that too much, you become paralyzed and you don't act. And then your heart is your emotion, uh, wanting to live, enjoy life. It's also where the retail industry targets you, right? And it's also your money, fear and anxiety and things like that. And then there are your hands, which is your mindfulness watching money slip through their, your hands, knowing how much you pull out your credit card. And there's a balance and it's it's a unique balance for every woman. And so where we start actually is with her happiness because I have had clients who've taken months to fill out a one page happiness chart. And that's because they have never allowed themselves to think about what truly makes them happy. And so what happens is that we listen to retail, we listen to social pressures, and our money goes to all this other stuff compared to what makes us happy, what makes our family happy, and our family values. So that's where we start. So what I'm hearing you say is that Having more consciousness about the way we spend money mm-hmm. is part of that path to happiness. Yes. And if we're not conscious, we will find ourselves feeding and spending money on the things that the MasterCard commercial tells us mm-hmm. is going to make us happy. Yes. Um, the, you know, billboard on you know, the taxi cab, what that says will make us yeah. happy. Maybe even a, a friend, what what he or she might tell us would make us happy. Yes. And if we continue in that autopilot, I imagine it's just this vicious cycle. It is. Where you're putting dollars to equal happiness, but it's not happiness, or even if it is, it's not a prolonged happiness. It's, yes. a, it's a quick hit. And what you're really saying is that if you take the time to fill out a happiness chart, and um, we'll, if possible, could we put a link to just a sample of Abs- that? Oh, I'd be happy to that do that. That would be yes. wonderful. So we'll yeah. put a link in the show notes. If you can sit down with that and really break it into basics then of understanding what makes you happy and then mm-hmm. work backwards to say, okay, what dollars are needed to invest in that? And there may, are there ever times when you look at that and there are things that actually don't cost money? Oh, most often actually. Most often happiness does not cost a lot of money. I love that. Yeah. I love that. There was a great study that I read several years ago and it talked about happiness and money and they found a threshold. Mm-hmm. And the threshold was 
a little over $40,000. They found that the happiness scale of individuals earning an incremental dollar more mm-hmm. increased. But at that $40,000 threshold, the additional dollars above it, it was a diminishing increased yeah. happiness. Yeah. And that I was really shocked because you don't um, you don't think that if I make a hundred thousand versus two hundred thousand, I think of course I'm going to be happier with two hundred thousand. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a happier person. But what the research is saying is that's not necessarily true. Yeah. Do you see that as well? That yes. someone's income and what they spend doesn't always equal how happy they are as a person. Comparison destroys joy. Wow, okay, so tell me more about that. That's big, that's big. Comparison destroys joy. We are so often comparing ourselves or being compared to others Mm -hmm. that we think we need to be like them, do like them, spend like them, own like them. What's interesting though is that often there are facades, right? People look successful, people look like they're happy, but behind the scenes, they aren't. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're living a facade, but we, we don't see that. We compare ourselves to the facade and we think, oh my goodness, I want to look like that. So we lose grounding in our own happiness and it's really interesting. I, I can give you an example where I had a client. She actually had debt. She had come out the other side of a divorce. She continued spending what she was used to spending and for all sorts of reasons. You were de-stressing, oh my goodness, right? Her income was less. So she accumulated debt, she refinanced and accumulated debt again. And that's when she realized, okay, I'm in trouble. So the first thing we did was fill out a happiness chart. The second thing we did, spend more money. And I'll tell you why we spent more money. Because in her happiness chart was need for socialization. So she was going out to dinner a lot, spending money because she just wanted to be surrounded by people. We got her into two courses, a few hundred dollars. In her happiness chart was socialization, camaraderie with other women, creativity. She got into these classes, her eating out started reducing dramatically. And when she formed bonds with new women, her need to compensate for that leftover stress from divorce decreased. She stopped spending so much on her clothing. She was so joyful and This woman stopped working with me, I think two years ago. I still get emails. I'm still doing my journal. I feel so great. It's so nice to be able to say this to you. I feel so awesome. Like it really, two years later, it's this is why I do my job. Hugs from my clients. It's, (laughs) I can't just tell you how much that means to me, but it's the comparison. Stop comparing yourself to others, ground yourself, and, and life even slows down. It's not so erratic. It's like seeing the little hamster on the wheel, 
sticking your finger in the wheel to slow it down. And it's like, oh, you mean I don't have to run this fast? Yeah. What I'm striving for is actually sort of right in front of me if I look for it. Yeah. So we just talked about one of your clients, a woman who was coming out of divorce and the stress of the divorce and that spending that just continued to to spiral. Um, You know, what do you see women um, newly divorced most struggle with? So they tend to, it's kind of mixed. It's a little bit of freedom, but sometimes it's self-esteem issues. And it's very much trying to redefine their life within less income. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's tough, especially if you weren't really aware of your money going into the divorce and oh my gosh you're you're trying to breathe relief you're trying to establish a new life um and it's it's tricky so if i can say anything to women so that you avoid uh, buyer's remorse which a very smart matrimonial lawyer whom you and i know both very well uses the phrase she says often clients come back a year later and say I can't live on what I got now what they received was pretty fair it's it's as much as you could have gotten given the assets involved right so it's a matter of reflecting on where your money is going and learning how to adapt and you know what it doesn't take deprivation people think People think they're going to have to suffer. Suffer. People think they're going to have to give up things. But if you ground yourself in what truly can make you happy moving forward, now that you're a free entity, um, then it makes it so much easier. And believe me, it uh, it takes the anxiety away. And typically, you can live within your means. Nobody's just ever taught you how to do that. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. Yeah. If you didn't learn it in college, if you didn't learn it from mom and dad, you don't know how to manage um, a spending plan. Not your fault. And I think that you also take that spending plan to a different area that, I, again, I've never heard before of what your spending plan is, you know, the, the ideal of, of how much you're going to spend on all these different items, looking at it in an enlightened way of saying, does this make me happy? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's eating out less and taking a class, and that really gets you there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's travel and continuing to do that, but realizing mm-hmm. that instead of beautiful boutique hotels, that you look for some things maybe off the beaten crap path or something that I really want to try, Carrie. I want to try glamping. So I yes. know that I can't I can't camp. I've, I've tried it. I grew up camping. <laughs> Camping is just, it's its too much. It's yes. too much. Um, but glamping is the next step up. Yes. And it's not very expensive. Yes. So it sounds like really figuring out what's going to make me happy. Yes. And then how do I allocate those dollars to make that happen? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think what's great is that no matter what, what you want in your life 
with enough creativity mm-hmm. and support, yes, you can make that happen at your price point. Yes. And I think back to um, something that I think we're all guilty of. I remember my first job and I, I did not make much money. I lived in an apartment um, with two other girls and I had the walk-in closet because that's all I could afford. And I remember being so careful with every single dollar, maximizing it, watching the travel sites, getting emails when there was a a sale. I mean, and I, I actually maxed out my 401k on it. It's shocking what I was able to do. And fast forward now, 25 years later, Mm -hmm. um, I look how expensive my lifestyle is. And I have to remind myself, hey, Stace, you managed 25 years ago on something that was a tenth of the salary you have now. Yes. So when you say you don't have enough money to do something, it means that I am not thinking creatively enough of how to bring that in my mm-hmm. life because there's always a way to do something for less money. And yeah. my mom, someone who just taught me so many great things about being smart with money, she would make it a game. And we would go with coupons to the grocery store. We would wait for double coupons. and it was a game to figure out how much can we save. And I remember all of us sitting by the grocery register, you know, watching and, yes. <laughs> and sometimes it would come up like $250 of savings. Yeah. Um, and so I think you have just brought such a different way of looking at this, an empowering way, um, a positive way, not from deprivation, not from lack, mm-hmm. but from fulfillment and power yes yes and it is always completely in our control and just as an aside do you know that more people who make over a hundred thousand dollars a year use coupons than people who use who make under a hundred thousand dollars a year that's because people are willing to be money smart and those making under $100,000 a year, sometimes they think about the the stigma of coupons, some just don't want to use them. Wow. And I just, so sometimes I talk with clients and say, okay, so you know that CVS coupon where you get 30% off, 30% off of $99 is $30, give me $30 right now. And so they give me $30 out of their wallet. And I said, okay, I'm gonna flush this down the toilet. And they just look at me like, you're going to what? And I said, so it's That's the same you're thing. Doing. Yeah. That's what you're doing. Yeah. So now, does that mean um, if a client doesn't want to use coupons, that's that's her choice. That's, you know, there, there are all sorts of ways of getting to where you want to be. It's all about your choices, your life, your happiness. And that's what we work with. Yeah. And re- help you redefine um, where you want to be. And, oh, my gosh, the money anxiety lessons and lessons and lessons sometimes i start with clients who come and sit beside me because we're looking at a computer screen and they'll say to me okay so you need to know right now i have a really bad headache as soon as i sat down i don't take it personally (laughs) because it's about the money but we go from that to 
hey, I love this. I know where my money's going and I'm, I've decided to change this, this, and this. I have people say to me, do you know that I spend $12,000 a year on taxis? I am going to stop that. I don't say anything, right? They decide how they're going to change their lives. And that's the empowering part. You just help them see where it's going. It's like, okay, what do you think? Where yeah. do you want it to go instead? Right? I love it's it. so much fun. Carrie, I just adore you and I can't thank you enough for being here. Um, how do how do our listeners learn about your website, get a hold of you? Because you have some great programs, you have some great content on your website too. Oh, thank you. Um, so you can find me at behavioralsense.com, B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-A-L, sense, C-E-N-T-S.com. You can also get me at 914-923-6081. That's my business line. I love chatting with people. I offer a free half-hour consultation. And uh, yeah, there's a fun profiling system on my website as well, created by one of the most published psychologists in the world. So you can find out what your money beliefs are. That's great. So we'll make sure that we put that information in the show notes and we'll also put a link to that profile Excellent. Um, on your website. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here, Carrie. And thank you to all of our listeners of Financially Ever After. Thank you for joining us. And if you have any questions about your finances, about your personal situation, um, feel free to reach out to me, Stacy. Francis, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y at FrancisFinancial.com or you can visit the website www.FrancisFinancial.com Thank you for tuning in and we'll see you in two weeks.